and welcome to the Vexpert Podcast. I'm your host and coach, Vex. I'm a New Zealand-based degree-certified nutritionist and strength coach, and I'm here to help guide you through the overwhelming world of fitness and health in a science-backed, balanced, and enjoyable way. Join me every fortnight, I hope, as I share the deets on all things nutrition, strength, health, and wellness-related to guide you towards living your best life. Happy Monday, you guys. I hope everyone has had a wonderful long weekend in New Zealand. And if you are in the South Island like me, I hope you're keeping warm. This morning it was freezing. First up, some little updates for those that are keeping up. I've been honestly getting so sick for the last month or so or two months now. And that is why I've been slacking so hard on the podcast, Instagram, TikTok, just everything front. But I'm really hoping that this is the last of it and I can get stuck in for the second half of the year because I honestly have so many ideas and I really want to get them out there for you all. Uni is going really well, which is so exciting. I've been asked to focus my research on recovery and the menstrual cycle, which initially I was a bit on the fence about, but now I'm actually really excited. I just felt like it would be more exciting to do nutrition or training interventions, but after I've been doing a bit more research into recovery, it's got me super excited to be looking into something that fewer people are actually researching at the moment. I've also been having some very exciting conversations with people in terms of building relationships and working together for my research, but at the moment that is all, has all got to stay under wraps, I'm sorry. Um, with uni, I have honestly been struggling a bit with my ADHD diagnosis and I honestly thought, well, I felt like once I got diagnosed, that would kind of like solve all my problems. Um, and the fact that that hasn't just made everything help let me get on with life has been a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, we're still working through a lot of those things. Um, training is going really well. Well, it was going really well. And then I got sick, so it wasn't going so well. And I was feeling a heap stronger in my lungs and my legs until I got sick about eight weeks ago now. Um, and something that kind of kept coming up for me and was that I've had a few people reach out and they're like congratulating me on my long runs, which is amazing and I'm so grateful for. But the thing that keeps coming up is that they're making a point how of how inspiring it is that I can run these big distances or big-ish. And while that's awesome, you guys missed the struggle of the first few months it took me to get there. And what I'm going to have to do again now that I am healthy and I'm trying to get back into things. I know everyone wants to go out and run 10 kilometers or be able to hit five minute pace. And then they want to, you want to go out and run faster every time you go out and do a training run. But the thing is, you don't win medals. You don't win medals in your training sessions. Every time, and there's been a few of them, I start back running. I honestly start with walk runs. In March, I could barely run for five minutes without my heart rate shooting up into the 170s. And I hated it. I honestly cried a few times while I was out trying to run. It just felt like so, so hard. And those aren't sexy runs to be posting on Instagram. So I probably, I didn't share as many of them as I feel like I should have. And, but they still happened. It took me like two months to actually be able to run 15 minutes consistently. So my point is that even though I was running a marathon at the end of last year, I still had to leave my ego at home and run slower and shorter to get better. You can't force your body to get fitter by training balls to the wall every single session. Running slower and keeping a lower heart rate will actually make you a far better runner than trying to run your fastest every session and every week. Maybe one day I'll do another podcast on how to start running because I feel like I'm getting pretty good at having to start over again, but that's going to be for another day. So all I just want to say is 
yes, you should look to people that inspire you and who can do the things you want to do, but don't disregard what it takes to get there and don't judge yourself for not being there yet. Anyway, life-wise, I'm really working on slowing down. I've been journaling a lot, meditating more often, and I've even slowed down the speed of the books and podcasts that I listen to. I've just felt really pulled lately to find peace and not pushing my body to like its absolute limits all the time. And maybe it has, I have been forced into it, but I knew I needed to do something and I'm actually okay with that now. I'm slowing down to create space for more in my life and I'm actually really excited for this new chapter. I'm doing things a little bit differently. Work-wise, I have some big ideas in the works for this year and I'm so excited, but also shitting my pants a little bit um, to share them with, with you all. But that's enough from me for now. Let's get into this week's podcast. So as the title says, this week I want to explore how to think more like an athlete and why that's going to be good for you in helping you achieve your health and fitness goals. Before you run off and think this episode isn't for you, let me assure you, even if you aren't, even if you're an everyday pencil pusher, a taxi parent, or just an average Joe, I know for a fact that you could benefit from some of these learnings and principles that I'm going to talk about. Before we get there, firstly, what is an athlete? As a society, we have created a strongly held definition based on ideas of what an athlete should be. Ideas like someone who is paid to play sport, someone who competes at a regional level or higher, or someone who's, aw- who's won awards for their sport, or even just someone who is the fastest or best at something physical. So often I hear people saying that they can't do movements or that they, sh- they shouldn't do events because they're not an athlete. They don't think they're fit enough, strong enough, coordinated enough, etc., But the official definition of an athlete, according to the dictionary, is a person who is proficient in sports and other forms of physical exercise. Proficient meaning competent or skilled in doing or using something. So technically, anyone who strives to participate and improve in some form of physical activity is an athlete. And I think you need to start thinking like one. Personally, when I think of a good athlete, I imagine they'd have the following values. They'd be hardworking goal-orientated, motivated, focused, willing to try or open-minded, prideful and consistent. So what happens to someone, say they come to me as a personal training client and they want to get fitter, stronger and healthier, but they don't embody some of these values. Number one, hardworking. This one honestly used to drive me so mad when I worked in Melbourne. I'd have clients who'd only paid for a PT because their doctor or partner said they needed to for health reasons. And they'd show up for their two sessions each week. And yeah, they might work hard during those sessions, but they would never see the dramatic results that they were so desperately after. But why not? What was the problem? They didn't see themselves as an athlete. They never did the hard work outside the sessions to get the results they wanted. I'm not saying you have to ditch everything and become a full-time athlete to achieve your goals, but if you want to get the results, you need to be prepared to do at least the bare minimum to get there. If you want to see results, you need to commit to living that athletic lifestyle. Number two, goal-orientated. By not choosing a goal, you end up bouncing about and not committing to anything. You either commit to too many goals and make minimal progress towards all of them, or you don't commit to anything. And again, you miss out on all the possible progress that could be made by choosing something to strive for. Your goals don't need to be big to start. You could start out by just being wanting to be consistent in the gym each week, trying to go to the gym three times each week. 
Once you've achieved that, then you can step it up and aim to do something more specific. But if you want to get fitter and you haven't set a goal of training regularly first, then you won't feel bad if you don't make it one week. So you'll never be consistent. <laughs> my goodness, my words this week. <laughs> that you'll never be consistent enough to see changes. And all right, the next one is mo- motivation. But I think we all know what happens if you lack motivation and focus. So I'm not going to go too deep into those ones. Number five, being open-minded or at least willing to try. If you can't be open-minded or willing to try new things, then again, you're going to limit your potential very quickly. There are so many ways to do things and so many different things you could do to get fit and strong. On another note, if you aren't open to new things, it's very hard to switch things up when you get injured and you'll keep going back to the same place that led to your injury instead of trying a different approach to get you back to where you want to be headed. Don't get stuck being small-minded and miss out on a bunch of opportunities that you might actually enjoy and could even help you get to your goals faster. Number six, being prideful. This is an, this is an, an, an internal sense of accomplishment in yourself regardless of what others think or how you compare to external measures. Too many people don't feel good about themselves and can't see the good in themselves because it might not stack up compared to someone else. This depletes them of self-esteem, confidence, and honestly joy. If you can't enjoy the journey, maybe you're on the wrong path. Side note, you can actually be proud of an effort but still want to do better next time. It's only ever your choice how you react, how you react and that will always determine your experience. I don't know about you, but I'm all for making life more enjoyable. Number seven, consistent. Consistency is honestly key. It might sound boring, but even overnight successes are years in the making. By not focusing on consistency, people either do too much or not enough, and this just leads to them not achieving what they set out to. All right. Those are just some of the basic values that you could embody to start achieving your goals, but I'm going to take you a little bit deeper into some other principles and concepts that you may or may not have heard of that smart athletes or their coaches know all about. So I have six concepts and we're going to go a little bit deeper into each of them, but I'll list them all for you first. Number one is big picture thinking. Number two is progressive overload. Number three is the minimum effective dose. Number four is the law of diminishing returns. Number five is being process orientated. And number six is periodization. All right, let's dive a little deeper into these. Firstly, athletes see the big picture. Big picture thinking refers to a strategy that focuses on the entirety of a concept or idea instead of each individual small detail. Those who use this type of thinking are much more likely to see the long-term possibilities of a plan and the overall potential for for success. For me, at the moment, thinking small would be trying to run five-minute kilometers every run or trying to beat my 10K time every week. I'd be picking a half marathon in six weeks' time to push myself and tick that off so I can do another one the month after and try and get that PB, get a faster time. But thinking big would be remembering that I want to be running in my 50s and beyond like my mum. So my training each week needs to be recoverable from, and I only want to increase my mileage by 5 to 10% each week to make sure that I don't get injured. I'd also look at picking a race in a year's time to allow sufficient time to build an aerobic base, then add in some speed work before getting specific in the 8 to 12 weeks before the race. 
Another example is if I wanted to lose body fat for whatever reason. Thinking small would be to eat barely anything and train as often as I could to be depleted the following week and then feel that I'm on track. Realistically, this is just going to lead to your metabolism adapting to make sure that you don't starve to death, your muscles breaking down to provide energy, the hormones that tell you you're hungry will skyrocket, and your brain will make you feel so lethargic and unmotivated to help you survive what it thinks is an awful famine. However, thinking big would be working out how much your food your body is burning And actually just start by training or moving a little bit more and eating a balanced diet to match your energy output and then stick to it for the next six months to a year. A little shameless or maybe a little bit embarrassed about (laughs) plugging this, but we'll go with it. Um, I am going to be launching a new six-week group course in the next month or so that will teach you how to work this out on your own. The course will give you access to three live video masterclasses and recipes for you to learn how to and even create your own meal plan. The topic is how to fuel. So regardless of what your goals are, we are going to cover how to fuel your body and also how to adjust and how to make sure you continue to see long-term progress. If you are a previous client of mine, check, look out for your emails in the next couple of days for a once-in-a-lifetime deal to get access to this course. And podcast listeners, I'll also be giving you a wee discount for being part of this beautiful community. All right, back to it. So thinking big would be knowing that sustainable weight loss takes time. The longer it takes you to lose it, the more likely you'll be able to hold it off. Small thinking is like the big fat loser show where, yeah, you lose a massive amount of weight in a very short period of time. But research has shown that because of that drastic loss in weight, their basal metabolic rate, how much energy their body burns at rest, actually reduces and decreases. So that means when they go back to their normal lives, they actually end up gaining the weight back even faster than they did the first time around. And it will be even harder for them to lose the weight the next time. And I'm sure a lot of you can probably relate if you've been on that yo-yo dieting process where you lo- you did really well the first time you tried to lose weight and then you gained it back and then it's harder and harder every time and you're just consistently making it more difficult and fighting with your body. Um, anyway, so athletes think about the athlete they want to be in five years time. They set themselves up with systems and processes that will push them in the right trajectory. Yes, they'll have smaller goals along the way, but those smaller events are just bricks in the wall. So how can you start to think bigger? Think about training for life. You're training to be an 80-year-old grandparent who can still move about and live independently and be able to look after your grandkids. You're training to not be stuck in a hospital bed. You want better life quality as you age. Yes, you can hit some incredible goals along the way, but by looking at the big picture, you can slow down and actually do things in a much more sustainable way, which means in the long term, you will actually see and achieve so much more. Thinking this way also helps you to move past the upsets during the journey because they're just small bricks. They don't mean as much when you know you've got a whole lot of other bricks to put into the wall. That one crappy run or gym session doesn't mean as much anymore because it will end up being a blur amongst all of the good runs you get to do. Another part of thinking big is knowing that you don't have to do it all at once. You don't need to be in a rush to achieve all the things. You can put in the work and build foundations. 
thinking small would be piling one brick on top of one brick without building a wider base. And I'm sure any of you know what they mean by that. Think about how wobbly those bricks are going to get. And at some point, everything is going to crumble. That brings me to principle number two, progressive overload. So progressive overload refers to the gradual increase of stress on the body during physical activity. As we all know, your body adapts to stresses. You go for a run. Your body then works hard to increase your aerobic capacity, leg strength, and lower body explosiveness so that next time you run, it's easier on your body. You try deadlift 50 kilos. Your body then works to increase your grip strength and power in your legs. Each effort puts bricks on the wall. But as that wall gets higher and higher, it gets harder to put the next bricks on. So you do have to do more work for each of those bricks. Some ways you can incorporate progressive overload into your training is to run an extra kilometer at the same pace each week. Or you could lift an extra few kilograms each week in the gym. Pretty simple, right? And you have probably heard of this one. But before you go and get too excited, I need to tell you, more is not always better. It's crucial that you understand how much you can increase at a time to prevent anything detrimental happening to your body, such as injury, burnout, or other health issues. Now, this is where the minimum effective dose comes in. The minimum effective dose is something that is honestly core to my coaching and a concept that even a lot of athletes don't understand. It is the least amount of stimulus needed to cause a desired effect. Basically, the minimum amount of work you can do to add one more brick to the wall. So if you want to get one brick of strength, fitness, fat loss better, you need to perform the minimum effective dose, say one unit of effort, to do so. Now, by going out and doing two to three times the minimum effective dose, your body can still only adapt to progress by one unit at a time. It doesn't progress two to three times. I repeat, more is not always better. You can only ever put one brick on at a time. In training, doing more can take away from your capacity to recover. Doing more too quickly also doesn't allow some parts of your body, such as tendons or joints, to keep up with the increase in load. Doubling up on sessions not only doesn't lead to double the progress, but it can even be detrimental to your training and performance. Now, when it comes to your nutrition, Doubling your deficit takes away from your body's ability to perform essential tasks, impairing your health and well-being for the sake of fat loss. And you know what? You don't even end up losing double the fat. So how do you know what the minimum effective dose is? Well, firstly, you could work with a coach who knows what's up. But secondly, it's really important to listen to your body. Say with training, you do want to be a little bit sore, but not too much. If you are constantly in a state of being in agony from your session the day before or you're waking up every day feeling like a bus hit you and you're continuously going out and doing that same hard sessions every day, then you are begging the universe to burn out or for an overuse injury or even to go backwards in your performance. Aiming to be a little sore the next day will actually allow you to make better and more progress over time you'll also be able to continue to perform at your best. Now, when it comes to nutrition, a smaller deficit or surplus is much more sustainable. If you start out on a 30% deficit and you hit a plateau, you're going to run out of calories to take away pretty quickly. However, if you start out on 10% 
then once you've made all the progress there, you can increase a little more and start seeing progress again. The goal is to get as much progress out of the least amount of effort that you can. As you're probably starting to see, progress is not linear. Even though you do need to increase the amount of work to keep seeing progress, you can't just do it willy-nilly. You need to be smart about it. Now, that brings us to the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns refers to an economic principle stating that profits or benefits gained from an investment will represent a proportionately smaller gain as more money or energy is invested in it. The rate of benefits gained is not linear and cannot continue to increase at the same rate if other variables remain at a constant. So when it comes to your training and nutrition, it basically means that you will always reach a point that you can no longer keep seeing the same progress or growth from what you have been doing. Like I said, progress is not linear. Now, Dr. Hans Selye, I've got no idea how to say that name, um, developed a concept called general adaptation syndrome. It states that an organism's response to stresses goes through a predictable series of responses. So we have three phases, alarm, resistance, and exhaustion. This concept has been adapted for athletes to optimize performance, manage stress, and fatigue, and also help reduce the risk of injury and burnout for their optimal performance. It also helps explain the law of diminishing returns and gives us a basis for some of the other concepts we're going to cover. For example, you start going to the gym, and for the first four weeks, you can lift five kilograms heavier every time you do a deadlift session. So that's progressive overload. You're trying to increase your weight each week to continue increasing that amount of stress on your body to continue developing your strength gains. But eventually, that rate of growth is going to slow down. You could try to keep lifting the same reps and sets, but you'll no longer be able to see a five kilogram strength gain each week. The first week causes, or the initial training sessions, cause an alarm response. The muscles are damaged and the body goes into damage control to repair and build the muscles stronger. It wants to be able to resist that same stressor the following week and eventually, uh, yeah, and you'll continue for a period of time while your body can keep building that resistance to the stressor. Eventually, your body's ability to resist is impaired and it will reach an exhaustion point. And that is when the rate of progress starts to slow down. Another dieting example. If you start off in a 15% deficit and you lose 0.5 kilos of fat each week for four weeks, eventually that rate of fat loss will slow down. It just gets, it gets harder to make strength gains or see progress the longer you attempt to do it for. In some circumstances, you can push a little harder and you'll start seeing a good rate of progress again. Now, hopefully you're getting the picture. More is not always better. In our training example, it's easy to increase training volume to see more progress. You want to run faster, so you do more running each you do more running during the week. Unfortunately, just like cutting more calories can end up working against you, training more can too. It begins to impact your recovery. Injuries sneak in, your motivation tanks, and you end up being a grumpy bugger who no one wants to be around. At this point, the law of diminishing returns means you've hit the peak and if you do keep pushing through and trying to see results, it will actually start to mean your progress will go backwards. You start getting weaker and slower and sometimes you have no idea why when you feel like you're doing all this hard work. And this, I'm telling you why. 
A smart athlete knows when to stop pushing in one direction and possibly go in another or just reduce the intensity for a week. This will enable them to continue to see progress. The law of diminishing returns means that more is not always better. We want to train smarter, not just harder. So if more is not always better, what else then can we do to continue to see progress? One thing that I think makes a great athlete stand out is if they are process orientated. They care more than they care about more than just the outcomes or performance metrics. They also consider what it takes to get there. So yeah, cool. You can deadlift 100 kilos on the barbell. You can get the bar from the ground to a standing position. But how does your body move to get you there? Is that a the most efficient way? Are you actually using the biggest muscle groups? And are you minimizing any unnecessary strain on your joints and spine? Is this the most injury protective way? Or are you just setting yourself up for a big injury? So you could just continue how, oh, my feet are going numb. Give me a second. So you could just continue to lift how you do and you'll probably continue to see some sort of progress for a while. However, at some point, your body's probably going to break. With a running example, you can run five minute pace for your training runs, but how high does your heart rate have to be to hold that pace? How efficient is your running technique? Are you wasting energy because you can't stabilize your body when you land? You could continue running that way, and yes, you'll make some progress, but good athletes, they want to get from A to B in the best way possible, and they know that if they do, they might actually perform better, perform far better in the long run. So this is where you think about the process. By focusing on improving the process, you do sometimes need to leave your ego at the door and be okay with doing less for a while so that you can do more later. You could spend six weeks deadlifting a light weight and improve your technique. You could spend six weeks doing much slower runs so that when you try to go back to five minute pace, you can run the same speed but with a lower heart rate. Oops. (laughs) Now, this concept is also really important when it comes to competition. Because no matter how hard we try, there are always going to be external variables that we have no control over. But if you have focused on doing the best that you can with what you do have control over, then you can still be proud of your achievement. For example, your goal might be to run a sub 90, sub 90 minutes for a half marathon. But on the day, there's a giant headwind and if there's a giant headwind and there's people everywhere and it just makes it much more difficult for you to race. If all you care about is the time goal, then even if you ran your absolute best, you're still going to be disappointed. Now, the best athletes know to focus on the process and that eventually their big goals will get ticked off and more. This does also link back to that big picture thinking idea. And the funny thing is with this concept is it actually allows you to dream bigger. If you're so focused on a 100 kilo deadlift, you might get there, but how cooked is your back going to be if you haven't learned good technique? If you focused on the process and developed the skills required to deadlift 100 kilos, you're more likely to end up being able to deadlift 150 kilos in one piece in the long run. Now, you might be wondering what those processes are and how do you incorporate all of these concepts into your training? So that's where periodization comes in. It's easy to look to Instagram to get workout inspiration, but what you don't see is the variation in training intensity and volume over the years that is strategically mapped out to get the best adaptations while also avoiding overtraining and burnout. 
By periodizing your training, you get the most out of each training application or method. And the idea is that you stick to one concept for a set amount of time, focusing on one method of progressive overload until your progress slows, which means you've adapted the most your body is capable of from this variable. You want to alarm your body, allow it to reach the resistance phase, but not push it so far into exhaustion. For example, you might spend four to six weeks doing five sets of five reps and increasing the weight by three to five percent each week. Once your progress starts to slow, you could change the load variables to start seeing a greater rate of progress again. You might switch to four sets of 12 for the following four weeks or even six sets of three, depending what your goals are. Remember, if stress or training is applied for too long, it leads to overtraining and your performance capacity will reduce. Now, this is a part that can probably be a little bit overwhelming as there are quite a few variables that you could change. But if you want to try this in your own training, you just need to pick one thing at a time and do it well to see the best results. In strength training, the variable variables could be the intensity of weight lifted, the rest period allowed, the number of reps, the number of sets, or even the speed or tempo of the movement. In endurance training, it could be the speed, distance, time, and again, amount of rest between sets. Without getting too technical, this is where you start talking about needing different energy systems. Depending on the intensity and duration of work required, your body's actually really clever and utilizes the most efficient way of producing energy and recovering. It's actually got quite a few different ways that it produces energy um, for different intensities depending on what you're trying to achieve. So for high intensity efforts, we have very limited capacity and that's why our legs start to burn and we can't sprint at 100% for a very long time. However, if we drop the intensity, we can work for a much longer period before feeling that same burning and fatigue building up. If you really want to optimize your training, you want to learn about the different energy systems and how you can combine them to become a better, more rounded athlete. If you think about top level athletes, they don't just do their event. A 1500 meter runner doesn't just go and run 1500 meters every time they go out and train and try to get faster every week. They don't even do hard sessions every single day because they know they need enough time between sessions to properly recover. Recover. They will do slow, easy type runs to develop their aerobic capacity and to improve their endurance because they can go for longer without it being too demanding on their body to recover from compared to those harder sessions that they might do once, twice or up to three times a week. Periodizing running training might look like spending six to eight weeks on increasing total run volume. So in each week, increasing the total amount of time allocated to easy running. Once you've maxed out how much time you want to spend running, the next six-week block could focus on VO2 max training. VO2 max is the maximum rate of oxygen your body is capable of using during exercise. And this rate limits how hard you can work and how long you can sustain that level of effort for. So this type of workout might look like 4 by 800 at VO2 max pace or 5 by 1 kilometers at 5 kilometer race pace with a three-minute jog between efforts. To then progress these sessions, you could increase the distance or the number of sets, but it's important that the overall session still targets the right energy system. You'll find that both types of training focuses will improve your race time, and by periodizing your training, you can target multiple energy systems and get the most out of your training while allowing the maximum recovery to ensure that you actually see the benefits of your efforts. 
Now, on top of periodizing your training in multiple week blocks, it is also important it is also important to periodize your weeks as well. When do you think your muscles grow? Do you think they grow while you're in the gym and while you're training? No, they don't. They grow over the next 48 hours or so once you've stopped training. Consume, you need to consume some protein and carbohydrates and let your body and nervous system shift into a state of rest and digest. So when you train, when you go to the gym or when you go out for a run, you're putting your body into fight or flight mode. Your nervous system makes sure that most of your blood is going to your heart to be pumped out to your working muscles. Your muscles are focusing on contracting to get your muscles to then get your muscles to repair after the session, we need your nervous system to shift into a state of rest and digest to, and to also have the time to do the repairs on those broken down muscles. If you just go back and smash the same muscles 12 to 20 hours later, you have not given your body enough time to repair and grow. So you're not going to be able to build muscle very efficiently and you're much more likely to get injured if you're not allowing enough time for your body to recover. By thinking how your week is set up, you can make sure that your body has the time and resources to recover from each and every session. This means that you will in fact be able to improve by one brick each week. If you're consistently, if you're constantly smashing yourself in sessions and not taking any rest days or eating enough to replenish your body's reserves, then you are taking away from your body's capacity to actually build that one brick. So you might think that doing more is going to get you there faster. But because of the law of diminishing returns, you'll end up gaining less and maybe even start going backwards. These concepts are why I am constantly reminding my athletes to train smarter, not just harder. Oh, okay, that felt like a lot. Um, so I'll do a quick little recap and then I will leave you with an opportunity to ask questions either in the box below for this episode or on Instagram. So We've gone through a few big scientific kind of concepts to explain and, you know, concepts that I think you should um, embrace to become more of an athlete, which is going to help you achieve your health and fitness goals. Number one was big picture thinking. I think that one explains itself. Number two is progressive overload. So it refers to the gradual increase of stress on the body during physical activity. So this means as we, as your body adapts to stresses, to continue adapting, you need to increase the stressor that is applied over time. Number three, the minimum effective dose. This is the smallest amount of effort required to build one brick of strength, or fitness, or whatever you're trying to achieve. And remember that doing two to three times the minimum effective dose doesn't mean you'll get to build two bricks. Number four, the law of diminishing returns. A training or stress applied for a long period of time will eventually reduce the possible rate of progress. If you keep trying to build more bricks than your body has the capacity for, you might just start losing bricks. Number five, being process orientated, focusing on more than just the desired external outcome, outcome such as a race time or weight lifted. Number six, periodization, the deliberate manipulation of training variables to optimize performance for competition, prevent overtraining, and progress performance. Whew. Well, if you are still with me, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. I don't want this podcast just to be for me. So if you liked this episode, please let me know. Let me know what top topics you'd like to learn about and feel free to ask me any questions. You can find me on Instagram. It's just Beck Satwell, but it's got two T's. Um, and don't forget, if you like what you hear, please share the episode and subscribe. I've got heaps more to talk about. 
That's it for now. Bye.